Welcome back. We hope you've been behaving yourself. This is Jackie Noto. And this is Mary Lewis. Welcome to Behave Yourself, a podcast on BA without the BS. What is your beverage you know of the week, Jackie? From flat soda to frappe, how has it been going? I feel like, hmm, maybe I've been having a kind of hot chocolate week Ooh. in the sense that I haven't been as motivated as I am in my other weeks. I don't feel as I'm as much on top of the ball. Right now, we're kind of at the end of the semesters for the courses that I'm teaching. So students are in their final weeks. This week, next week, and the week after that, I'm not teaching courses. So everything kind of slowed down a little bit. And I've been taking that time for self-care, but I wish I was having more of a cold brew coffee kind of week where I was getting all this stuff done. I feel like I'm mainly doing like house behaviors instead of work behaviors, which is going to be helpful for me. But overall, I'd say maybe a, a hot cocoa kind of a week. I love that. I love that. My week is going like a small hot coffee, hopefully hazelnut flavored, but not with the syrups with foamed oat milk and what I mean by that is I'm feeling re-energized in the best way I've been having some conversations with people about research and next steps in life and I went from feeling all the imposter syndrome to feeling a, a renewed sense of you know uh hope so that is how I picture my beverage of the week I love that. A little coffee of hope. That's beautiful. Is there anything new going on in your life this week? A new activity, new book that you're reading? There is actually something that I've been trying to do this week is have an immediate activity to do post meeting or post social engagement, maybe like a Zoom group or um, a presentation where I have to be like heavily invested in the topic before transitioning into another activity. I'm really trying to have something already set up like that I'm planning to do that just makes me feel better and helps me transition specifically because it's a little warmer out, just walking out in my backyard and standing in the sunlight for like 20 seconds. Seems like it wouldn't really make a difference, but it really, really helps just give me a second before I transition into doing more tasks. Because usually if I'm going to be in the, a meeting, I'm prepping and planning stuff. And then usually after the meeting, I have a slight sense of overwhelmed because I have all these new tasks, which is great. But taking that second and having it pre-planned prevents me from just like scrolling on TikTok too much or getting overwhelmed and not doing anything the rest of my day. What about you? Hmm. Well, so one of the things you and I were talking about before we started filming that I think is going to end up being one of my new items of the week is I'm really interested in getting some of those blue light glasses Ooh, yes. as time goes on and I'm sitting in front of my computer more and more, whether it be for teaching or for conducting my own research, I do notice my eyes getting tired. And sometimes at the end of the night, like they just feel warm for lack of a different word. They feel warm. Uh, and I think that it would be beneficial for my eyes to have those. I know a lot of people 
in the field have been getting them and it's been kind of popular in mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. I think my hindrance on it is part of me thinks it's a placebo effect, <laughs> but if it's effective, right? If it's pragmatic, the amount that it's true is the amount that it's useful. So if those blue light glasses do seem to have sort of an effect on multiple people that I trust and respect in the field, there's something I'm thinking about trying out. 100%. And it doesn't matter if it's placebo, if it works. Exactly. It's pragmatic. Awesome. Do you have blue light glasses? Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking. I do have blue light glasses. I really love them. I got my first pair in 2019 and I just recently got a new pair. Whether I do feel like the actual blue light glasses do create a like extra layer of protection when I take my glasses on and off you can tell looking at the screen however for me it it definitely helps me like set the vibe when I'm I'm feeling a little down or I'm you know dreading work because I'm afraid of it not being good um having the glasses and only wearing the glasses when I'm doing work because I'll like read um, on like an electronic device or like watching TV or being on my phone. I don't have my blue light light glasses on for those. I mean, it would probably help, but I should get another pair because I really try to only use them when I'm doing work. So when I put them on, I'm like, I'm professional, you know, this, you know, it just, it pulls everything together for me. And I think it kind of builds my momentum for being like, all right, we're in work mode and it's going to be great. Yeah. It's like a, a stimulus in your environment that is going to be constant each time you're doing work. So then when you put on the glasses, you're in that set of these are the patterns or behaviors that I'm supposed to be engaging in. I like that. I like, uh, (laughs) I, funny enough, I do have some different items that I like to use to set up my desk for success in those terms of stimulus prompts. So I have this little toy here. It's for those listening. It's kind of one of those basic like Leonardo da Vinci music machines that you can buy at a museum. And you turn this little hand crank and I'm going to see if you can hear it. But I like to crank this before I start work to have it as a prompt that now is work time. That's one of my stimulus prompts that I like to embed in the workplace because it's a prompt that tells me the behaviors I'm supposed to engage in. So I think that those blue light glasses would be a good add-on to that. I love that. I think, I think it's, that's so beneficial. But switching topics here a little bit, what topic are we spilling tea on today? Ooh, the tea we are spilling is about conferences. We're going to be talking about our conference hacks, maybe leaking a few secrets, just so you're feeling successful if you've never attended a conference or if you're a student. We are here to walk you through from start to finish our personal preferences and how to have the best experience at conferences. I love that. And as Mary was saying, right, every single person is going to have different ways that they like to be set up for these conferences, workshops, whatever it's going to be for their success. But these are just some skills we've garnered, some hacks we've learned, some knowledge that's been passed down to us by our ancestors and behavior analysis that we thought if you're a student or if you're a paraprofessional, a parent, a technician, you're going to a conference for your first time, we're just going to share some information that's been helpful for us. 
And as always, if you have any input following our discussion today, you can always let us know on Instagram. We are at Behave Yourself Pod on Instagram. So make sure to go ahead and let us know any conference hacks or tips that you think would be beneficial for others to hear. Starting us off here, I kind of think going in the order of how we get to a conference would be beneficial. So I think we should probably open up with booking, mm -hmm. booking a conference, booking your hotel. Do you have any advice on that? I do. First of all, make sure you're getting the student membership. I actually have a story with this. Specifically for ABAI, I registered and I wasn't really paying attention to the different types of memberships. And I had just become a BCBA. So in the past, I had paid for a student membership, which student memberships are cheaper, which is great to cater to, you know, student funding. And I accidentally signed up for the student membership again, but without the CEs. And I had just gotten my certification. So I needed those CEs. So I had to email them. And I was like, hi, I'm still a student, but I did just get my BCBA. So I would like to collect CEUs for this conference that I'm paying a bajillion dollars for. And they were super nice. And they were like, no stress. You just have to repurchase it. And then we'll refund the original membership. But it's not something that is... Some websites are a little bit easier to finagle than others, but also I don't know how much it's talked about that there a hundred percent is a student membership, especially starting your master's program, not needing CEUs. That's the probably the best fit for a student because it costs a little bit less. And if you're not going to need the CEUs, then you, you don't need to pay for them. Yeah. And for some background here, at least in my experiences, when you are a student, all that you need to verify that you're a student is some document from the university. Most of the time it's your unofficial transcript that you can screenshot, upload to the portal, and that's verification enough that you are a student. So I would definitely look into those student rates over the CEU rates, because if you don't need the CEUs, take that discount. Also, when it comes to booking, I wanna talk about booking your hotel. Yes. So I made the mistake the first time I went to one of these big conferences where I decided to stay with a friend who lived nearby or stay at a hotel that was a drive away, but you could take a lift or an Uber. And I've tried out both. I've done the conference at a hotel that was associated with the conference and staying somewhere else. And I would strongly recommend booking one of the hotels that the conference is affiliated with. It is going to be so much easier for you in the mornings to get to the workshops that you need to at nighttime when there are events going on. It's going to be easier for you to go back to your hotel. But my big plug here is the middle of the day. In the middle of the day, you're not hopping in an Uber to drive 20 minutes to go to your adjacent hotel or your friend's house to do 20 minutes to come back. But in my experience, in the middle of the day, you might want to change your clothing. You might want to take a nap because you've been up since 7 a.m. attending conferences. Now it's 2 and you're going to be up till 8 p.m. So having somewhere where you can go and take a nap, change your clothing, rinse off, or sometimes honestly, just having some personal space is really helpful for me in conference season. This being said, I do know that the hotels associated with the conference are typically more expensive. This leads me into my next point here. Book your hotel room with friends. Oh my goodness, book your hotel room with friends. I've had it happen multiple times in the past 
where, and this is a secret, so don't tell anyone, mm -hmm. but we've had air mattresses in the hotel room. There have been times when people have slept in the bathtub and having more people in that room is going to drastically cut down the price it costs for you to be staying there. Those are all really, really good tips. I've had the same experience with booking hotel, booking the hotel where the conference actually was having a little bit more success than booking at a hotel that was close. It seems like a great deal to book somewhere else because the price is a little bit less and it probably is just like a, just an Uber drive away. But for some reason, it is a lot more convenient. I think one of the biggest conveniences is what you mentioned with being able to take breaks in the hotel and also being able to have your stuff in the hotel and to quickly be able to run back and forth. But also, especially if it's your first time attending a conference, sometimes you aren't aware of, you know, certain events that are coming up or you don't exactly know where the poster session is located or you're not sure like what coffee or snack options are available in the hotel and being there 24 seven makes it just a little bit easier to kind of model other people's behavior and to see what they're doing or to kind of see the culture of how people are networking or communicating. You know, some people are sitting out in the lobby, some people are practicing their speeches, but like in um, a more open setting. And so people are approaching them and they're casually chatting. And those are kind of things that you don't really get to see if you are taking the time to commute back and forth from another location. Yeah. And I was going to say that same thing in terms of our social networking opportunities. There are so much more if you're staying at that hotel. Cause like Mary was saying, those downtimes when people are getting ready to go to lunch after the day is done and people are just hanging out around the bar or in the lobby area, there are opportunities for you not only to be talking with the people that you know and have associations with, but maybe a researcher you really admire is there. Maybe a professor you've previously had is there. And it gives you those opportunities to go and have conversations with those people without worrying that maybe Ubers aren't going to be available past 1 a.m. I keep using the term Uber. I'm more of a Lyft gal myself, but any sort of ride sharing app, whether it be an Uber, a Lyft, a taxi, uh, maybe you're getting on one of those scooters that they always have and zipping around, whatever that might be, being able to have that sort of safety as well of being in the hotel. We have a very predominantly women-based field or women-identifying-based field. So that's something to keep in mind too. When you're leaving a conference at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 at night, depending on how long you're staying there, and you're doing transportation in a city that you're not really familiar with to a new location, it can just be a little bit safer if you have that hotel that you're currently in where you're not expected to travel 20 minutes away on your own. Also, a lot of the conference websites will tell you where the where the hotel where the conference is going to be located, which hotel, and then they have the um, room blocks and then they have the reduced prices. Yes, get that code. Yes, you do have to pay attention though. You have to know when the conference is being announced and to be checking it because the deadline, the hotels usually book up pretty fast. So that is something to note. I also wanted to backtrack a little bit with the networking of what you were saying, Jackie. As a little student hack or a little social anxiety hack, if if you have that. I'm I'm great with networking via email and LinkedIn and even Zoom is fine, but for some reason, face-to-face, -face, sometimes I just get so nervous and I don't know what to ask these amazing researchers or role models that I know about their research, but I don't really know like why they're there and I just get intimidated and so I kind of freeze up. 
something that has been helpful for me at least, and also specifically if you're a student, is specifically FABA um, and some other conferences as well. I guess it doesn't really matter what time of year, but if you're a student, you're you're probably going to have homework pretty often. And taking, you know, the three to four days off, whether it's research or um, funding hours or homework, that is a quite quite a bit of time to take off to not be doing any work. And I remember the first conference I went to, I didn't bring any of my homework and I came back and I was pretty behind on some of my classes. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was really stressful. And then I was like, should I have even gone? And I've heard students talk about that. Like, oh, it's not worth going. I have too much homework. I, just, I can't make the deadline or midterms are next week. And so they decide not to go. And I think you know, you need to make your own decision, but I definitely think students can go even if they have a lot of homework and something that can be helpful and something that I've done that's been successful is bring your homework. We're not talking about like writing a thesis. We're talking about, you know, reading a chapter and taking notes or, you know, write, doing an annotated bibliography on some, on some literature that you've been assigned or something. Editing like Editing your reference list. Yes. Editing your reference list, something like that. Using Grammarly. We love Grammarly. So you're going to take those materials and in in the middle in the middle of the day, which is when it's usually a little there's a little break, you know, a lunch break. There's not as many talks going on. You're gonna go out to like a lobby area or a, a lounge area. Most of the hotels will have like place to sit, um, either near the restaurants or kind of out in the open. And you are gonna take yourself out there, and you are gonna sit and you're, you're gonna do your work. So you're gonna go out there, and you're gonna take a seat, and you're gonna work on your stuff. And you're definitely keeping yourself occupied and you are actually doing your work, but you're kind of keeping your body language a little open. I've actually had people come up to me, you know, people I know, not not really people I don't know, but some colleagues or maybe people that I've seen before that I don't know super well. And they're like, hey, it's great to see you at this conference. And it's a really good way to, again, do a little bit of your schoolwork and keep up to date, not be as stressed about that. But also kind of putting yourself out there without the, you know, the anxiety of walking up to someone and approaching them, you're kind of letting people come to you. And it can be a nice way to utilize your time and also practice networking experience, but, but I also get some homework done, which can be beneficial. Yeah, spot on. And while we're on this note, let's talk about setting up our schedules. So you were saying in the middle of the day, there's normally some point of downtime typically because lunch is taking place, but I want to even take that one step further. So Mary, I know you're kind of like me in this sense, but when it comes to going to these conferences, typically all of the talks that are available are going to be accessible to you before going to the conference itself. Yes. So something that I do every single time is I'll go through the entire catalog of every single talk and I'll make a list of which ones I liked, their numbers, their titles, and I'll compile all of those with their times and days. And then I'll start weaning it down. Normally I, on my first go around, have way more talks than I can possibly attend. They're at the same time. They're at the same time in two different locations. So then I'll start eliminating ones that either are directly conflicting with one I really wanted to go to or ones that maybe I'm already going on three talks on this topic. So if I'm already going to three talks on BST, and then there's a BST talk and a, sorry, BST is behavioral skills training. So if there's a behavioral skills training talk at the same time as a burnout talk, and I already have three BST talks on my roster, I'm going to choose to go to the burnout talk instead, because that's the only one so far in my schedule. So looking through what's available for you at that time, 
seeing what your interests are and ensuring that you're creating a schedule that aligns with that information, not only so that you know ahead of time where you're going to go, but so that you have time to do things like take breaks to work on your homework, go get some food, take a nap. Another piece of advice I want to add in here, when it comes to scheduling these talks, I know that it can be really comforting to go to talks with other people, to go to the presentations that other people are choosing to go to. But what I would really highly recommend here is ensuring that you are choosing talks that you're interested in and going to those talks that you think are going to be beneficial to you. Within the field of behavior analysis, we all have different scopes. And while it can be comforting to be with a friend, sometimes it can be really beneficial to go on your own. You have the opportunity to network with other people. And something that Mary and I have done in the past is Mary will go to, let's say, a burnout talk. I'll go to a diversity, equity, and inclusion talk. We both take notes. Following it, we meet up at lunch and we share the information that we learned in that other talk. So instead of relying on your friends to be your comfort in attending the talks, I would suggest relying on your friends to relay information that they learned at the same time that you were learning something else. Yes, 100%. I search for a specific topic. A lot of times you can search like, Strictly OBM talks or strictly clinical talks or strictly feeding talks. This is a conference hack. How to determine whether the talk is what you're looking for or not. Focus less on the title of the symposia and more on the authors and either the university or the company that they're affiliated with. Yes. A lot of of times... The title is part of the marketing strategy, which is amazing. And they're definitely not, you know, giving misinformation, but it is supposed to kind of hype you up. And if you only look at the title and you don't look at, you know, how many people are presenting, what each individual presentation is, because some symposia have four presentations and they're on slightly different topics, but the title kind of has to summarize all of them. And that can be misleading if you're looking for one specific thing and you only look at the title. So I would definitely recommend looking at each presentation, the author, the university, or the company before you decide whether that might be a talk that you're interested in, or if you're having trouble narrowing down what talk you want to go to. And let's say, you know, maybe out of the four talks that are listed within this one symposium, you're only interested in one of the four. I'm always going to recommend that you stay for a full symposium, but maybe you have to run off to do your own talk. Maybe you're running off to support a friend. So if there is a time that you are entering a conference or a symposia or a lecture or a poster presentation late, or you're leaving early, I really want to strongly urge you, sit in the back of the room, sit in the back of the room on the ends of the aisles so that when you're getting up and leaving, that's the least distraction that you can be giving to that presenter. A lot of the times when we have conferences, yeah, a lot of the presenters are established people in the field, but often when you're going to a symposia with four talks, those are going to be graduate students in the field. Some people, it might be one of their first couple of times public presenting. So we want to make sure that we're giving them that respect and that space. I don't want to say you can absolutely never leave a talk. I've left a talk before, even just to go to the bathroom, but ensuring that you are being a respectful professional when you're engaging in those behaviors is important and setting yourself up for success to be able to efficiently leave when that happens is helpful too. Yes. And I definitely think those are some unspoken rules Mm -hmm. of etiquette 
and they might seem like they don't really matter, but I really, really do think they make an impact. Even, even if they're a well-versed professional, um, but especially if they're a grad student, you know, this is the first time they're presenting their dissertation or their thesis. Um, when you come in a little bit late or you leave in the middle of the talk, especially if you're in like a ballroom setting, it gets pretty loud, especially when people are first coming in. So if they've started talking and they're, this is the first time they're presenting and they're like, hi, my name is Mary Lewis. This is my research. And people are still clapping and talking about the previous, the previous symposia that was in that same room and they haven't left yet, or they're getting their CEUs and they're talking. That's really distracting. And it can also, it's not personal, but it can feel extremely personal. Like, wow, these people don't even care about my research. It's only been five seconds and they're not interested in my topic. That's obviously not what's happening, but that's what it can feel like sometimes. And so I completely agree. Also, as someone who tries to stay as hydrated as possible, getting up is totally fine. I don't think that's the issue. If you are, if you know for a fact that you're going to have to get up, 100%, you need to sit in the back. I'm so sorry to tell you. Like you should be sitting in the back or on the side. And yes. Getting up is fine, but you need to do it just as you would if you attended the theater in between talks. Also, a lot of times the way the doors work, you can pull them open and kind of peek in and see if they're in the middle of their talk, if they're at the very, very end and you can wait the two minutes before you walk in, or if they've just started, they're walking up and you have enough time to sneak in. Just being mindful of that, I think it really makes a difference and I wish people would talk about it more. It's definitely like an unspoken rule, but that's why we're sharing about them today. I have two extensions here. One, those doors, they're heavy. You're going to open it quietly and you're going to try to rush on out and you're letting that door shut on its own. It's going to slam. Mm -hmm. So If you are leaving in the middle, you're running off to the bathroom. Just make sure you're holding on the door to get that quiet close that you can give once again for respect purposes. And the other extension I wanted to talk about here is in terms of talking while someone is presenting. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I never really thought I would have to say. <laughs> but when a presenter is giving a presentation, you should not be talking during their presentation. Even if it is talking to your friend about the stuff that you like, stuff that you thought would be beneficial, stuff that you want to put into your clinic, because everyone around you is trying to listen to the presenter, not to you and your friend. And you might be wondering, when does this ever happen? And this actually happened once when I was an audience member. So I was going and attending a talk of a colleague of Mary and mine. It was a feeding talk. And they, at this point in time, I was a second year master's student. So I did not have my master's yet, did not have my BCBA. And there were two individuals in front of me who just kept talking and they kept talking and they kept talking. And I gave them a the feedback in the moment of like, I'm not sure exactly how I said it, but it was definitely in the nice professional manner of, hey, please stop talking. Someone is presenting right now. And these two individuals uh, kind of turned around to me with a face I would identify as disgust that I had asked them to stop talking during this presentation. And they informed me that they were BCBAs and I was a student and they wanted to know where I was a student. And at this point, some other BCBAs who were sitting nearby all kind of turn their head sideways because at this moment in time, right, I'm calling out two people who in theory at this time should know better than me of conference etiquette. 
And the response was to try to make me feel bad for calling them out for engaging in this behavior. I know that you're getting a lot of beneficial information when you're sitting in a presentation and maybe you do want to share it with your friend. That's why I suggest you bring a notepad. Bring something, whether it's a notepad, a tablet, a laptop, where you can be writing down the notes that you have. You're going to be able to share that information with your peer later on. I just want to make sure that you have the respect for the presenter, because while us as an audience, we can hear what you're saying, as someone who's been on the presenting end, when there are people talking in the audience, I can hear it. Yes, I agree. And most of the time, it's not negative. But it's difficult to remain focused on what you're doing when you hear these little murmurs in the background. It's distracting. I have a question for you. I don't like, I don't know your opinion. And I have an opinion. How do you feel? How do you feel about people bringing their laptops or their iPads with a keyboard and typing loudly, typing loudly? If you're typing and nobody can hear, this does not apply. You're typing loudly, even if you're paying attention, even if I can see that you're clearly taking notes. How do you feel about that in terms of like etiquette? So I already know what Mary's opinion is based off the emphasis (laughs) of loudly. (laughs) Um, Personally, as a presenter, I do not care the volume of the taps of the board. What has bothered me before as an audience member is when I see someone is sitting on their phone, when I see someone is sitting on their laptop and they're not engaging in note-taking behavior at all. That's a much bigger issue for me. Once again, opinion-based. If I see someone on Facebook, not only is that not the point of this conference, but that's distracting for the audience members who are around you who see that you're scrolling through reels on Instagram. It's not beneficial. As a presenter, I don't really mind the tip taps of laptops because most of the time, at least in my experience, the people who predominantly bring laptops are the discussant, the chair, people who are higher up in the field versus students. But it does get me a little bit when I see someone vigorously typing on their phone. I know that phones have no apps, but I just have this... uh, feeling of distrust, I guess. When I see someone go into town on their phone, my assumption is that you are texting someone. My assumption is you are Snapchatting with someone or posting this on Facebook. And that gets me more than tapping on the laptop. I, as a presenter, I really don't know if I would notice. As an audience member, I find it extremely distracting. I don't necessarily think it shouldn't happen though. Like that's my personal preference. That's my sensory level. I do find it distracting. Um, but like I said, like, I don't, you know, be- because a lot of times people are taking notes on what the speaker is saying, which is totally fine. I just wanted to hear your opinion because I genuinely didn't know. Um, yeah. But also that kind of brings me to my other point about like where you sit and kind of how you navigate the room in those first five seconds when you walk in. Um, something that I didn't realize until I started going to conferences. You know what, Mary, I'm going to go ahead and cut you off right there. I think that's a beautiful cliffhanger to transition us into next week's episode. So before we conclude, how are you staying hydrated this week? How are you refilling your cup? I think that's an excellent idea. I am staying hydrated by taking time to read books for fun using the Libby app, L-I-B-B-Y, 
And that's actually how you can rent books from local your local library for free. I had no idea it existed. I'm currently reading It Starts With Us and I'm loving it. How about you, Jackie? I love that. Always a huge fan of supporting our local libraries. Got to make sure we continue to get education out to everyone. My self-care of this week is I recently moved to a new location and I need to work on finding some new friends. So I entered a bunch of different uh, women groups on Facebook and they had different subcategories like let's get brunch, let's get dinner, uh, LGBTQ+, volunteering gals, book clubs. So I've been entering those different groups to go ahead and get some new friends who are interested in things that I'm interested in. So tonight, I haven't decided yet, but I might be going to an adult-only laser tag. And then this Saturday, I'm going to be doing a game night with some of the girls from that group at a local bar. So I'm looking forward to, you know, refilling my cup from some of those social interactions and connections. I'm really excited. I'm so jealous. Laser tag? Wow. Adults only. Love. All right. And that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to make waves, collect data, and as always, behave yourself.